Hello, everyone. Lovely to be here. Nice to see you all. And thank you so much for joining online. It's lovely to be with you in your homes or wherever you are as well. So today, we are embarking on a new series, and we are looking at the book of Daniel, an Old Testament book, just 12 chapters, divided into two. The first half is very historical and history in the making, and the second half deals with like the lens of prophecy and visions of the future and things to come. It's an exciting book, it's action-packed, it's full of amazing facts and history, and we're going to look today, launching it really, setting up the scene, looking at the characters, ready for all the different speakers who are gonna come in the next few weeks to unpack the nitty-gritty of Daniel. So we're going to look at, first of all, who was Daniel? So we're going to have a little look at the first few verses of chapter 1. So, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. <clears throat> then the king ordered Ashpenath, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites to bring uh, to the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. But like you, babe. <laughs> Joke. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Michelle, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of your young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. But at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better than the other young men who ate the royal food. And so the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Oh, gosh, so there's quite a lot going on here, isn't there? And so I'm not going to be preaching on vegan diets today, even though that's amazing and brilliant, and as we know in this day and age, is a very healthy lifestyle choice. But there were other reasons why Daniel and his friends chose not to eat some of the king's food and wine. And so we're going to have a little look at, first of all, who was Daniel? 
Who was he? Who were these friends of his? Now, when we consider Daniel, we see some similarities to Joseph, Jacob's son. And we can see that both of these lads prospered in foreign lands and were able to interpret dreams of their rulers. And as a result, they were elevated to like quite high office as a result of their faithfulness to God. So as after Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, besieged Jerusalem, now I wasn't quite sure what besieged means, so I looked it up and it basically means this. A place surrounded by armed forces aiming to capture it or force surrender. So King Nebuchadnezzar, with all his armed forces, were looking to capture Jerusalem, Israel. And so he chose from Israel's royal household and courts strong, handsome, healthy, young men, brainy boys, who were then to be taken to Babylon and trained in the school of Babylonia, like going to university for three years to like learn all about the culture, the language, literature, science, etc., and then ultimately to serve the king in his royal courts. So he was pinching them and bringing them to his country for his benefit and the benefit of Babylon. So they would have done three years training to serve the king and then work for the government effectively in the king's royal courts. Now, Daniel would have been about a teenager when he was taken from his homeland. Historians say he was probably around the age of about 16, so he was very young. And he was from the lineage of Judah, and the year was 605 BC. So he was taken captive and had to do a 500-mile trek to Babylon, which was that far away from where his homeland was in Israel, and uh, lots of arduous you know, difficulties and trials and tribulations, no doubt. And then he went to serve in the government for about 70 years. And he was there serving the government during the reign of several kings. Here we see him uh, serving under Nebuchadnezzar, and then we see him serving under Belshazzar. So when we think of Nebuchadnezzar, we think of like the dreams and Daniel interpreting the dreams of the golden statue. And then Belshazzar, when we remember the stories of Daniel when we were children, was the writing on the wall. And then King Darius, where we have that famous story of Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. And then King Cyrus, who actually allowed the Jews to return to their homeland after 70 years of captivity. So Daniel saw all these different kings and he served under the government during several different kings' reigns. And Daniel never actually got to return to his homeland. So he was a foreigner in a strange new land and all that comes with that, all of the difficulties of getting used to a new culture and language and obviously the sort of religious aspect was very challenged in his life. And this week I was chatting to an elderly Italian lady who was about 90 years of age and she was recounting to me the days of where she was taken from her homeland in Italy and brought to this country as an immigrant and how they came as a family to this country and how they settled here, but how difficult it was in those early years. And she recalled to me some of the difficulties of the poverty from her hometown where it was through sort of poor politics and how that was affected 
protecting the sort of people of the day. And she was one of seven, and she remembers going down to the canal to do the washing with her mother. And they would scrub and wash the clothes in the canal, and then hang all the clothes up to dry on the trees around, and how difficult life was. And then when they came to England, it was the whole thing of getting used to a new language, a new culture, making new friends, new work. But the thing that kept them going was their faith. And they have hung on to faith and hung on to God. And now this lady was 90 and she was recounting and reflecting and looking back on her life and seeing the faithfulness of God even through hardship and pain and loss and grief and difficulty. And here I looked at this lady like she was like this lovely lady, almost 90, and I just wanted to learn and sort of have, you know, inspiration from her life of how we can sort of really hang on to our faith in God to get us through some of life's challenges. And so with Daniel, he would have had those challenges as well. And being so young, just 16, removed from his family into a new land, how difficult that was. But ultimately through Daniel, we see he stood strong in his faith and held on to God. Okay, so he was a foreigner in a strange new land. The thing I love about Daniel was that he held on to God and he stood by his convictions. So when the sort of uh, chief official was saying like, you know, we're gonna give you the diet of the king's table, you know, to Daniel, that was like he was going to be defiled if he ate that food. Now historians have several different sort of um, answers to why Daniel and his friends chose not to eat this food. One, it could have been because that, I mean, to be honest, if you're gonna eat the king's wine and the king's food, it would probably be, you know, the best food and really good, one of the perks of being kind of a captive in Babylon. But I suppose there, were, there are things like, because Daniel and his friends were Jewish, maybe in Babylon they obviously wouldn't have observed the kosher laws. So maybe Babylonian diet was full of pork sandwiches and bacon sandwiches and you know lots of pork and things like that, maybe. But other than that, it, we are sort of, um, it was possibly sacrificed to idols and their pagan gods. And so this was probably one of the reasons why Daniel and his friends like refused to eat this food because in Babylon they kind of killed two birds with one stone. So we're going to like take this food, we'll sacrifice it to our gods and then we may as well eat it, not to waste it. But Daniel thought, well, no, that goes really against my conscience. I don't want to eat food that's been sacrificed to your false gods when I believe in the only one and true God of Israel and of the world. And so maybe those were the reasons why they chose not to eat this food. And as a young person, he refused to give up his convictions and he applied God's will to his convictions. He applied listening to God and doing the right thing. And he also developed good habits, and he didn't change those habits. His spiritual diet and his physical diet were both really important, and he put his relationship with God first. And I was listening to a talk this week by David Pawson, and he was, he's like a theologian and a teacher, and he's passed away now, but some of his teaching is really brilliant. And he was talking about in certain cultures and in some royal courts, it was really a sign of prosperity for you to be, you know, 
have a few pounds on you sort of thing. And so have you ever heard somebody say, oh, you're looking well, you're looking prosperous? And that is like a saying, that is a thing. But here we see that Daniel didn't, you know, take that food and he sort of held on to his small principles. And sometimes when we can hold on to our small principles, it helps us to stand by our bigger principles. And so he was also saying that in these royal courts, a lot of the sort of diet and wine would have been very rich and very sort of, um, you know, in some ways, good for you. But in many ways, like we come to understand in our culture, diet of fresh fruits and vegetables is really healthy for us, isn't it? And so that is obviously like a good thing. But also, we see that God used Daniel and his friends to kind of stand firm for God and change, really, a nation. And so this is what we're going to look at now. We're going to have a little look at some of the other characters in this book of Daniel. So he was faithful in the little, and this really encourages us that when we are faithful in the little things, that God can really give us the grace for the bigger things in life. And Daniel and his friends were so young at this time. And so to all of us from this, I want to say, especially to you young people, put your relationship with God first. Stand by your convictions. Develop healthy habits that will strengthen your relationship with God now and throughout the rest of your life. And remember that character is key. Good character forms good uh, character. Okay, so... Those are some little things that we can glean out of this. And the thing I love about Daniel is that we see him, we meet him as a young person, and all through his life, through his middle years and into his latter years, we see him being faithful and still being serving in the kingdom and still serving God and standing up for what is right and not being afraid, even before kings, to kind of make a stand for his faith. And this really encourages us that when we're young, when we're in our middle years, and even in our latter years, God can use us wherever we are, and God has a plan and a destiny and a purpose for each and every one of us, no matter what phase of life we are in. Now, my maiden name was Daniel. And so before I became a day, I was a Daniel. And my father's name was Daniels, and S got added later on, but his parents were Daniel. So my father's name was William David Daniel. And names are important, aren't they? Daniel means God is my judge. And so we're going to quickly look at some of the name changes that Daniel and his friends were given and the reasons why. So we remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego by their Babylonian names, but their Hebrew names, as we read, so Shadrach was Hananiah, and the Hebrew meaning for that was God shows grace. The Babylonian name Shadrach means under the command of Aku, and Aku was a moon god, he was a pagan god, and so Meshach was named Michael, and the Hebrew meaning for that, who is like God. And his Babylonian name was Who is Like Aku. So similar in a way, but they were really trying to like give these boys a new identity and a new religion. The name Abednego, he was Azariah, which means the Lord helps. And his Babylonian meant servant of Nebu. And that was another pagan god of learning. And so I found this really interesting because all four of these Hebrew boys' names had meanings connected to their faith in God. 
And often people will name their child a name because it has special meaning or they like how it sounds or they just, you know, like how it sounds and that's fine. But often people will choose like a family name, a historical family name that's been passed down through the generations or because of the meaning of the name. We like the meaning of our children's name. So Sam means God has heard. Isaac, our second son, he, that means one who rejoices or laughter. And Naomi means pleasant one. And so we really like the sort of biblical names and the meanings. And so we can see how in this case, you know, being, having their names taken away from them kind of like wants to... They want to like give them a new identity, but they knew who they were. They knew that their identity was in the one true living God. And identity is so important to each and every one of us, isn't it? And the Bible talks about when we come into a relationship with Jesus, when we say yes to Jesus, when we give our lives to Jesus and we say sorry for the things that we've done wrong and we commit our lives to him to be our leader and Lord and savior and friend and father, then a new transition takes place and we become like a new creation. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and a new life has begun. And so when we have issues about our identity, we can really stand firm and stand confident that in Jesus, we are a new creation. The old has gone and the new comes. And as we put our life into the hand of Jesus, we can be assured that he is with us. He will never leave us. He forgives us. He has a plan and a purpose for him. And even Even though we have difficulties and challenges and trials in this life, he will never leave us and we will always have the assurance of his presence and ultimately be with him forever. And that is the greatest gift of all. And so we're going to move on now. I'm going to have a little look about the friendships that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego had. And Friendships, wouldn't you agree, are really vital and important to each and every one of us. Friendships make life enjoyable and difficult times more bearable, one teacher said. And that is true. When you've got a good friend or surrounded by friends, whether it's one or three or ten or whatever, it makes life more enjoyable and it also makes the difficulties that we face in life more bearable. Friendships are tested and strengthened by hardships. And here we see Daniel and his mates going through some pretty hard stuff. Being thrown in the lion's den, you know, and all the stuff that they would have had to endure as very young, sort of vulnerable, fragile uh, teenagers. And so I want to encourage you, again, especially to young people, to choose your friends wisely and to be a friend. There is great strength in real friendship, and it's really important to stand with your friends who share the same faith and convictions as you. Now, it's great to have friends from all walks of life, but it's really important when you follow Jesus to also have those friends who are actually believing the same as you because it's strengthening, it's encouraging, and you kind of, you're both sort of singing off the same hymn page and your kind of destinies are sort of going in the same direction and that is to ultimately serve God with your life. So your future and your destiny is all tied up in what God wants for you and how that will pan out. So friendship is really important. Okay, the next character we're going to look at is King Neb. So let's look at King Nebuchadnezzar. What a mouthful. 
So who is this king? Where was he from? What was he like? So King Nebuchadnezzar was the greatest of the Babylonian kings. He was known as a builder of cities. And historians say that he married a beautiful princess from the mountains. And she was so homesick that when she came to Babylon, she didn't like Babylon because it was flat, it was dull, it was desert. And she really missed her homeland. So she would cry at night saying, I'm homesick, I miss my, my homeland. And so King Nebuchadnezzar would say, well, you know, what do you miss? What have you got? Haven't you got in Babylon that you had in, you know, your mountain village or town or whatever? And so she said, I miss the trees and the green and the hills. And so he was known to build the hanging gardens of Babylon for his wife to kind of help her to stop being so homesick. So he built like a big mound out of like clay or concrete. And in that he planted trees and, you know, made water come into it. So it was fed and it was meant to be one of the seven wonders of the world. And people from all over at that time came to admire these wonderful gardens that we know today as the hanging gardens of Babylon. And so he was known as a builder. And he was also used by God for God's purposes. But he thought of himself as a God and was persuaded to build a gold statue that all were to worship. And he became extremely proud, which led, as we will discuss on another day, seven years of insanity. And we learn from his life that uncontrolled pride is self-destructive. We've all heard the saying, pride comes before a fall. And that is something we can all learn by, because we all can be proud in the wrong way sometimes, although there's many avenues of pride, which is good and right and helpful and healthy and fine. But when pride overtakes a person and they become lofty and think too highly of themselves in a wrong way, then often a fall happens. And we see Babylon, this happening exactly. So Babylon during the 7th and the 6th century was the largest and wealthiest city in the ancient world. And it is now modern day Iraq, 55 miles south of Baghdad. It was a short-lived success. It fell to the Persians in 539 and it slowly crumbled over the centuries by foreign invasions and occupations. And so we can see, stay away from pride, be not prideful, be humble. So why was Israel besieged? Well, we read in and through the Bible, so many stories and so many accounts of God's people becoming idolatrous, which is basically worshipping other gods, pagan gods, and not God, the one true God. And they were also um, disobedient to the laws of God. And the laws of God at that time was for the benefit of the people, how to live your life, how to you know, be in relationships, what was healthy, what was right, how to manage communities. And loads and loads of laws were for the benefit of the people, but often the people disobeyed God's laws and would um, serve and worship idolatry. Uh, idols and other foreign gods. And we all know the sorts of things that went on, oh, horrible, awful things. And so Israel's walls and palaces and even Solomon's temple were all destroyed. And during its long history, it has been attacked 52 times, captured and recaptured 44 times, besieged 23 times and destroyed twice. But it is the home of God's people and we see 
God restoring his people time and time again. And that gives us so much hope, doesn't it? Because we can live our own life. We can get caught up in the things of this world. We can fall into temptations and do things wrong. But ultimately, the point of Jesus, the point of God sending to earth his one and only son was to deliver us, to forgive us, to have relationship with us, to restore us, and to give us the home of heaven in eternity, to be face to face with our maker. And that is wonderful. And so God had sent messengers known as prophets time after time after time to warn of the consequences of their behavior, disobedience and the worship of idols. God wanted him to be the only God in their lives, not to be shared with some false God. And so Daniel and his three friends are examples really of dedication and commitment to serve the one true God despite the consequences. They did not give in to the pressures from an ungodly society because they had a clear purpose in life. And so to sum up then really, we've just met some of the characters, what was going on at the time, we've kind of been a quick little nutshell to set up for all the nitty gritty and the stories and the other characters that will get introduced in the weeks to come. But ultimately for me, the book of Daniel points to Jesus. You know, hundreds years before Jesus ever came to this earth, we can look through the lens of prophecy that ultimately Daniel foresees future events and that's for another day. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the preservation of your word and how it's come to us thousands of years later after these events and real people lived. I thank you for the things that we can glean and put into practice in our day and to be warned about, to be encouraged by from the people in your book. Help us, Lord, to, like Daniel, stand firm in our faith in these sort of unprecedented days that we find ourselves in with the challenges that are coming from the, the media and the world and other parts of the world and how ultimately all of those things can affect us. I pray that you would help us to stand in our conversations with our friends at work, in uni, in our street, in our families, with our neighbours, that we wouldn't be afraid to talk about you and your love, that you would help each and every one of us to have that outward look that we, when we see people, we see them through your eyes, that ultimately, Lord, you love people and want people to come into relationship with you. So help us all, Lord, to be able to not be afraid and to be courageous in our faith and know that it is your presence and it is your Holy Spirit that gives us the strength, the words and the encouragement to do this. It's not about us and our knowledge and what we know, but it's about you. So Holy Spirit, I pray for each and every person now as we just sit and reflect in this room before the week ahead, you would fill us afresh with your thoughts, with who we are in you and we thank you for that. We thank you that we are forgiven. We thank you that we have relationship with you. And I pray for all those who are pondering or considering or don't really quite feel or know that they are ready to meet with you, that you would bless them, that you would speak to them, that you would encourage them and that you would find them, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.